0: Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One Podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hey, I'm Jim Dudley. So, Jim, not too long ago, a month or two ago, the FBI released part two, phase two, in finger quotes here, of their uh, ongoing examination of active shooters. You know, in 2013, they had a report, I believe it was. um, It didn't really focus on... I mean, what it really focused on were the circumstances of the actual event, um, you know, the duration of event, or you know, the, you know, the, all of the things that were transpired during an active shooter incident. This particular study or fa- phase of the study, I guess we're meant to say, um, looked at the pre-attack behaviors, pre-attack indicators, what have you, and you know, w- law enforcement has had a variety of assumptions for a long time about. What these people do in, in advance of an attack and what some of the sa- signs and signals are that they're potentially planning an attack um, and that there are commonalities and traits uh, that we've seen. If you just kind of look over the years of what these personality types are, um, you know, so the FBI concluded and not unsurprisingly that and I'm going to list them here. Most are single males not involved in a romantic relationship at the time of the attack. Uh, They had some manner of grievance against one or more of the individuals at the attack location. Uh, They experienced mental health issues um, just prior to or at the time of the attack. Um, They spent at least some time planning their attack and at times even threatening its imminence. You know, I'm going to come back here and kill all of you. they exhibited behaviors that, after the fact, could be construed as signs and signals. And this goes back to Dan Marcuse's uh, five phases of the active shooter. You know, there's the ideation stage. There's the, uh, what he calls the, fi- the fantasy stage, the, the uh, planning stage, the approach stage, the attack stage, and all that. And uh, So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that the FBI's report isn't really as useful to law enforcement as it is to the people out there in the world, the community, because most of these visible signs are not visible to law enforcement. They're visible to um, a parent, uh, a partner, uh, uh, a, a colleague, uh, you know, a member of uh, the clergy. You know, these, the people out there who are the, the eyes and ears who should read this report and understand what the report's trying to say is really not law enforcement, right? Definitely there
1: is a burden on those surrounding the shooter to come forward with the information, to see something and say something, if you will. That I don't believe the FBI report goes into detail about precursor indicators that maybe would have been um, articulated in social media or in writings or anecdotal comments to to other people surrounding them. And I think that's really an important aspect if we're going to talk about prevention and not to say that as a nation, we should go on a witch hunt and say, you know, I heard Doug Wiley say, if that mailman uh, throws another advertisement through my mail slot, I'm going to shoot him. We're not going to report you to the FBI for saying that. But for people who,
0: by the way, they, uh, um, mailman, mailman, you're fine, you're safe with me. <laughs> uh, really, that's not something that's going to happen.
1: <laughs> but, but no, I, I mean, some of these threats were real. They were persistent. They were documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was hate speech, and uh, in some cases, these there were reports made, and the people in authority dropped the ball. But other cases, nobody said anything. I think what's what's fascinating about this report is they estimate 25% had diagnosed mental health issues and I think an important word to key in on there is the diagnosed because I I certainly believe that in at least a couple of the other shootings where there was no diagnosed mental health and I am not a mental health professional give you that right now but you have an individual who takes a, a a uh, supply of guns and ammunition to a hotel room at a specific floor overlooking a specific venue opens fire on more than 500, 5,000 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's got to be some there's mental health issues involved there.
0: Right. There's something wrong with someone who wants to do that.
1: And the fact that he hasn't been officially diagnosed, I don't think that's, that's indicative of his mental health status at the time of the shooting. I think there are a couple of others. The the original report, the 2000 to 2013 report, talked about uh, active shooter reports of three or more people who had been shot. A lot of them were grievances at work. Somebody came in mad about something or there was a domestic violence uh, issue and heat of the moment armed with a gun, uh, people were shot. Clearly, Critical, clearly a heinous event that shouldn't happen, but these pre-planned attacks with a dozen or two dozen or five hundred injured as a result, uh, there's there's there are pre-event indicators that we're just not seeing or we're not paying attention to yet.
0: Yeah, and there are examples of uh, you know. I, I We could talk about uh, San Bernardino from the perspective of of, uh, terrorism, and it was, um, but we can also talk about it from uh, the perspective of uh, an active shooter event. And there was a neighbor who observed some hinky behaviors, uh, and because he or she, I don't remember if it was a male or female neighbor, Felt like they were maybe profiling, or maybe they they they, they didn't want to come off to the authorities as saying, "Hey, those people over there, they look different from me. Um, go check them out. I think they're gonna they're planning to do something." But after the fact, that person kind of came forward and said, "I I saw some weird stuff going on over there, and I, I didn't report it." Right. And I think that there are a lot of instances where there is an individual after the event can, whether they admit it or not. To, to the public they admit it to themselves at least they say ah, I, I kind of saw that coming and I didn't say anything and that's what I think this the, the crux of the FBI report is and like you said we don't want to go on any kind of witch hunts we don't want to go over reporting and calling the authorities on just about everybody because that doesn't help anybody um, but you know when you see someone um, amassing a large amount of ammunition suddenly you know uh, there are sport shooters who have a large amount of ammunition pretty much all the time, um, but if you go from having thirty rounds or fifty rounds in the box to three thousand rounds, um, that might be an indicator, right? So if you're you're the mom or you're the, the brother or sister, family members are the least likely to report, um, mm-hmm. but they're probably the most likely to observe. So there's a really weird dynamic or dichotomy there that i think that Mm. people in the public need to come to grips with and say you know hey um little johnny's acting funky make that call make the call and you know maybe take little johnny to a psychologist first or maybe take little johnny to a therapist or maybe Mm -hmm. but you got to make the call right you got to get it on the radar
1: yeah i don't see that changing anytime soon we just had another attack um in europe and uh, all indicators there say that it, it it looks like terrorism, but you have people in, in authority and government refusing to make that link just yet. So even after the fact, we're still in, we're still wrestling with the ability to come out and say that to the public unless we're absolutely positively sure. But a couple of things in the report that I, I think are worth noting, besides the 25% uh, diagnosed mental health issue, most guns were obtained legally. They were legal guns. 77% of the attackers spent a week or longer preparing for the event. So mm-hmm. somebody's, somebody's got to notice. And later on in the report, it says uh, some of the concerning behaviors do presage violence, um, That that some people close did notice some worrisome behavior, and that one in three shooters had made threats or confronted people that they later targeted. Those things are all you should be able to articulate those things. Yeah.
0: So I think that the um, the net net here to use a Silicon Valley term for law enforcement, you know, listening to the podcast. You know, of course, we do know that we have civilians who listen to the podcast as well. And we do appreciate your listening. Um, But for law enforcement, I think that kind of the end state of this report is we need to get the word out. To the public, and whether it's through a PSA that you put on your your agency's Facebook page, or uh, you you go on the local, see if you can get the local news to take an interview and, and and explain to the public, you know what we know about what these active killers look like in advance of the attack, so that people out there have a better and deeper understanding of not just what to look for, but what to do when they see it. You know uh, because without the assistance of you know basically the 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 teachers and the you know employers and the the relatives of the world we, we we can't be everywhere and we generally speaking aren't the people to observe someone getting you know let's say for example getting a storage facility all of a sudden you know like you know for no good reason at all not using it uh there's there's funky behaviors that these folks have done that will not be visible to law enforcement, uh, but will be visible to someone else. So I think that on, on law enforcement side, try and figure out a way to, to better educate the public, right?
1: For
0: sure. All right. Well, we want to know what you think about this matter and the FBI report, if you've read it. Uh, send us an email to policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. Thanks again for listening.